Laser sights are an essential firearms training tool, clearly correcting and improving the two most important shooting fundamentals, aiming and trigger control. Crimson Trace, making laser sights standard equipment. Learn more at crimsontrace.com. Today on Tom Gresham's Gun Talk, the gun lobby is not any one organization. The gun lobby consists of the estimated 100 million-plus U.S. gun owners. Jeff Knox of the Firearms Coalition is here today to encourage every gun owner to stand up and fight against gun control legislation city, state, and nationwide. Plus, more than one million women will hunt this fall, and a new book entitled Why Women Hunt shares the stories of 18 such ladies. As always, call us at 866-TALK-GUN with your comments, questions, and range reports. And now, here's Tom. Well, hello, Tom Gresham here. It's Gun Talk. We're having some fun today. Going to be talking about, well, guns and shooting and handguns, long guns, shotguns, rifles, ammo, scopes, lasers, all of it. We'll talk about uh, the shooting sports, certainly competition, if that's your thing. We'll talk about self-defense with guns, which is the thing, if you will, for a lot of people who own guns. When can you shoot? When can you not? When should you shoot? How do you avoid that? Questions that everybody needs to be thinking about if you have a gun for self-defense. And actually, think about this. Another thought. Do you actually need a gun for self-defense? I know people say, well, of course I do. Well, yeah, maybe. Maybe. And maybe it's not appropriate for your particular situation. I actually have people call the show and say, hey, think about getting a gun or I want to get a gun for self-defense. And we talk it through and I go, yeah, at the end of it, that might not be the solution you're looking for. For many people, it is one option. And honestly, and I guess maybe this is the, the part that's missed by so many people who are not really into this. It's People say, well, violence is not the answer. Well, probably, but Sometimes it's the only real solution. Those of us who are serious about self-defense, those of us who have guns, carry guns, own guns, keep them at home, go get training, that type of thing. For us, and I think this is the big misconception on the part of a lot of people, the gun is not our go-to thing. The gun is the If everything else fails and we're having the worst day of our life and we have to try to stay alive thing, it's not that we'd say, gee, I sure wish I could use this or I'm looking forward to it. It's, I just want to have one more option. If I've tried all the other things, I've tried avoidance, I've tried evasion, I've tried reasoning, I've tried uh, de-escalation. I've tried to get myself out of whatever the situation is. I've tried to get my kids and my family away. I've done all these other things, and it's just gone south. It's gone you know, to hell in a handbasket, and somebody's going to get hurt real bad. That somebody's going to be me or my wife or my husband or my children. And at that point, I'm not going to allow that to happen if I have it within my ability to stop that. And so the gun becomes that part of it. And maybe it's the last 1% of the package. And it probably is. When you think about it, think about your awareness, your avoidance, you're just making good choices. But if you're not in this world, you are told, and you may well believe, well, gee, 
you know, if you have a gun, then that's what you're going to do. Well, no. In fact, I would argue that the more training you have, the more exposure you have to this, the less likely you are to ever use a gun in self-defense. The other part of this is, it's very possible and very effective many times to use a gun in self-defense without pulling the trigger. That is, you come out with your gun and you point it at bad guy and bad guy leaves. Certainly, you know, you don't pull it out to scare people away. I mean, let me make sure people understand that. That's called brandishing. That is a crime in many jurisdictions. You would only pull it if you had legal justification to use it, that is, to fire the shot. But if something happens between the time when you pull it out and you pull the trigger that indicates this person is giving up or turning around or running away and there's no need to shoot, then you don't shoot. Then the gun was used to save yourself. That's why we have all this data out there. It says Americans use guns for self-defense more than 6,000 times a day. Not a year, not a month, not a week, per day. And no, they're not shooting people 6,000 times a day. But they're solving the problem because they had a gun. Just thinking about that, all right? Hey, I got a, uh, let's go to line one. John's with us right now out of Bakersfield, California. Uh, <laughs> and uh, he's got a range report for us. Hey, John, how you doing, man? Good, good, good Tom. Yeah, I have uh, actually two range reports. One uh, goes back good. to April um, uh, locally in um I uh, work with the, with the Boy Scouts, and our council has a, an event uh, at the end of April for the whole uh, council. And almost uh, all the troops come, and there's like over between 300 and, and 350 boys. This year there was like 325, and they do different mm. competition things. And one of them is an opportunity to shoot. We run two ranges. Uh, I run one uh, as an RSO, range safety officer, with two instructors and another one. And in a matter of uh, from nine to four, we put almost 325 boys through. Get, they get to shoot uh, ten rounds. Wow. Uh, some of it. Sometimes it's the first opportunity to uh, shoot a firearm or, or 22. We give them a safety briefing. We have instructors mm-hmm. there. They do. But um, uh, that's one of the things we try and do to uh, introduce the you know, youth in, in a safe and, and correct manner and give the opportunity. A lot of them have never had that opportunity before, no mentorship. So that was one of the things that we've done recently. Just one of them. Interesting. Now, um, I, I assume that the scouts, when they sign up for this, they know that firearms is part of the deal. I mean, did you ever get any pushback from anybody on that? No, no. in order to do it, you know, in California, with all our great legislation, there's a lot more laws. But, um, no, every every scout has to fill out a form that's authorized. Actually, it's in triplicate. They have to deliver one to the um, uh, administration. They have to keep one on their person. And when they come to the range, they have a band that shows that they've been authorized. They have to deliver one uh, copy to us that we wow. keep uh, on the range before we let them in to the uh, uh, shooting area. Then um, they go through. So it's all so far compliant. Yeah. California, yeah. All right, you said you had two range reports. Yes, so the, the other is, um, uh, is uh, I'm a CCW uh, holder as well, and I heard you talk about people uh, where inside the uh, 
the waistline um, holster and about how important a belt is. And I've always wanted to call, well, what is it about the belt? What is the belt? Well, I finally did some research and I went online and I got a belt that's made of leather with a leather with a, a strip of metal in there, and I use it, and it makes the mm-hmm. difference. And I wanted to say uh, thank you for that and to explain why and is the right tool for the job is that regular belts are made for either fashion or, um, uh, you know, hold up your pants or one of the, but not mm-hmm. for concealed carry. And with a, a, a concealed carry belt, um, it's wider, the clip fits over it, there's, it's the right spacing, and it, it gives the support as a utility belt and, and keeps a good pressure in the holster in place. And it really does make a difference um, there. So I, uh, that's one thing. And the other thing is also I started to dry fire. Um, I carry a Glock mm-hmm. 23, and um, I also practice judo. And as you know, it's a close combat sport, and you one thing you grip, you go off balance, you place yourself, and then throw. That's a little bit like gripping your pistol, presenting it, uh, aligning it, and then firing it, and um, trying to make a, you know your efficiency in how you do yeah. that. And so I did some things like for practicing the grip, and I found when I opened my hand, my thumb was grabbing onto my skin or my clothes. So I modified ah. that, like mo- moving my thumb inwards so that my knuckle goes up against my body and slides down. My thumb was closer to the to the handle of the mm. pistol, and it would grab mm-hmm. there. So uh, there, that became more efficient. Then retaking the holster, it was well, vertical. Well, but then well, I realized, well, hold on a second. What, what, you, what you're really talking about is the value of the dry firing practice is exactly. figuring out that very small little kind of, it's almost like a, wow, I never would have figured that out if I hadn't just done this over and over and over dry firing. Let me spin back here. I want to ask you a question, though. You, yes. you finally went and got a good gun belt. Why did you put it off for so long? Because I did not realize what the value of it was. I thought a belt was a belt. But when I realized, mm-hmm. that I, you know, that you're repeating that, I thought, well, I'm going to take a look at what is there, the difference is. And when I got one, I realized that the, how flimsy my regular belt was. How much? <laughs> yeah, until you much until smaller, you get a good belt, much, you don't. Yeah, you don't know the difference. You, you, you're thinking, well, my belt's you know, fine. Then you get the real gun belt. And you're going, holy cow! This is what well, he's been clip, talking about all this time. The, right, the clip that goes over it's about an inch long, so the belt is a bit wider. The, the utility belt's a bit wider, and it clips over uh, over the top, and then also it's a little bit thicker and fits just correctly on there. Plus, there is like a metal strip there that keeps the belt uh, sturdy so that it doesn't bend or flip or fold, and that keeps your holster in place so that when you go to reach for it, it's there, and it also holds your pants up and your holster in place better. I mean, mean, that that is exactly it, John. Look, great range of forks. Thank you so much. And, yeah, I get it. It's one of those deals. Until you do it, you don't know, and you keep hearing me talk about your know, gun belt. I like the fact that he uses the term utility belt. Yeah, think of it as a utility belt. It carries everything. All right, back in just a minute. 866-TALK-GUN is our magic number here. Give me a holler. 866-TALK-GUN. For more than 70 years, Timney Triggers has been enhancing the shooter's experience. 
Whether it's a local competition, a day at the range, or even the hunt of a lifetime, setting the standard in aftermarket triggers, Timney is now producing more than 170 models of triggers for bolt-action rifles, shotguns, AR rifles, and semi-automatic rifles. Proudly made in the USA since 1946. Find your new trigger at TimneyTriggers.com. Hi, this is Ryan Gresham with Gun Talk. Visit GunTalk.com slash win to enter our latest giveaway. This month, it's the Springfield Armory St. Victor rifle in 308. The St. Victor is a lightweight AR-10 weighing in at just 7.8 pounds and features a 16-inch barrel, M-lock free float handguard, and flip-up sights. Enter now through June 28th at GunTalk.com slash win. Perhaps more than any other landscape, wetlands embody the life-giving abundance that nature has to offer. And perhaps more than any other organization, Ducks Unlimited is working to ensure that our continent's wetlands not only survive, but thrive for generations well beyond this one. The time is now to band together. The time is now to rescue our wetlands. When the U.S. military's elite units and law enforcement agencies across the globe demanded innovation and reliability, they didn't settle. They chose Sig Sauer. When world champion professional shooters demanded precision accuracy, they didn't settle. They chose Sig Sauer. So it's no surprise more and more civilian gun owners are refusing to settle for anything less. They're choosing Sig Sauer firearms, ammunition, electro-optics, suppressors, air guns, and training. Sig Sauer. Never settle. Welcome back. 866-TALK-GUN or just dial Tom Talk Gun. Looking for your range reports. What have you been shooting? What have you been doing out there? It's the time of year when people are out doing an awful lot of shooting going out to the range. We've got the long daylight hours now, which is wonderful. You know, unless you're <laughs> waking up at 530 and you can't get back to sleep, but that's all right. Um, let's see. We've got about a week to go. One week. In California, I'd love to get the reports from people in California. Are you running out and buying ammunition right now? Because on July 1, the state of California is going to require a background check for the purchase of ammunition. A couple of flies in the ointment. Well, first one is a small one, and this is un- unverified. I- I've not confirmed this, but I think it's correct. Walmart is saying that they will charge $1.00. For the background check, just to because the state's requiring them to do that, but they're also saying they're having to update their systems, and they're, they're going to be unable to sell ammunition until July the eighth. So that'll be a full week during which Walmart will not be able to sell ammunition in California. But then we hear of another fly in the ointment, as if background check requirement for buying ammunition is not enough. And for those who are out, out of the state saying, well, you know, just order it online. No, can't do that in California. And the companies that sell ammunition online won't ship it to California. It has to be shipped to an FFL. Then you go pick it up there. And then after July 1, you have to do the background check. But, oh, wait a minute. Now they're saying, but you have to have a real ID to be able to do the background check. 
to buy ammunition. Well, most people don't have a real ID. That's that's the enhanced, uh, you, you go to the driver's license office and you have to take, if you ever have to go do that, by the way, check and get the list of things that are required before you show up there because you're going to need things like copy of your birth certificate and some other things. It's you know not as simple as just getting your driver's license. So you have to get the real ID. So if you don't have one of those, does that mean you can't buy ammo in California? I think it does. Now, does anyone at all, has it occurred to anyone that this is strange, that they require you to have your ID, a real ID to buy ammo? Uh, you know, this is a right that is protected in the Constitution, keep and bear arms, you know, you've heard that one. And yet the same people are saying, no, you should not have to show an ID to vote. I don't know, just those two seem to go together. Let's talk to Jason online, too. He's in Texarkana, Arkansas. Hello, Jason. Welcome. It sounds like you are a lucky guy. Hey, man, thanks. Uh, I just wanted to call in and give, I guess, a range report. Uh, I was one of the lucky 50 that actually received a hard hardback copy of the Blue Book of Guns. I got it in the mail, and I'm just impressed with the wealth of information that's in it. And I just wanted to say thank you. That a regular guy well, really do win. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Steve Fiesta was on the show last week, and he said he would give away 50 copies of the Blue Book of Gun Values, and you were the, one of the ones to get in. Isn't that an amazing, huge book? Yes, it is. I, I, I did not know all of the manufacturers and types of guns that they had. It, it really is amazing. It is. Well, congratulations. Well done. Thank you. Appreciate it. All right. Take care, Jason. Frank's on three, coming to us out of uh, Carbon County, Montana. Hey, Frank, you're up. Good afternoon. Uh, the reason I'm calling today is I've been shooting for about five years, and I cannot emphasize enough to everyone who carries that shooting is a perishable skill, and if you're going to carry, you have to shoot, and you have to shoot often. What do you do to work on your skills? I go out at least twice a month, and I shoot from um, um, 5, 10, 15, 20, and 25 yards, and I dry press probably 10 or 20 times, and then I uh, do a, a make ready and load, and then I work my way back from the 5 to the 25. 25 seems like a long way to practice for concealed carry, but I like what you're doing because it forces you to really work on your marksmanship, and marksmanship matters. It does, and in addition to that, if people are going to carry, one thing that has to be impressed upon them is know their target and beyond. Um, it, it's so easy to um, uh, just become focused on the threat and not realize that there are civilians or um, uh, residences uh, or crowds uh, in, in mm -hmm. the area or even behind their possible target. You know, don't you think that... Being able to do that requires you to think about it a lot. All, it's like almost all the time when you're practicing, okay, backstop, what's behind me? What's going on behind me? I might have to move two or three feet to the right or to the left to clear what's behind me, even though there's a threat right there. You, you know, we're the good guys. We don't get to just shoot indiscriminately and not worry about where our bullets go. So you have to think about that ahead of time. You do. And also, if it's not an active shooter, and there are too many people around, you may want to that, wait till that shooter moves or clears the area and then follow them if, if it's possible uh, and necessary. Because the last thing you want to do is, is injure um, a civilian 
um, if, in fact, a person is not an active shooter. But if they're an active shooter, well, you've got to stop the threat. You know, and I, I would throw this out. The idea of following them is anathema to me. I would not follow a bad guy, period. I'm, I'm not doing that. Wait, and I understand. And the only reason I've mentioned that is just so you if you could keep an eye on him at a distance so you can let law enforcement know where he or she is as they exit and mm, okay. escape. I see. Okay, yeah. I, I get where you you are there. But, yeah, just for those who are thinking, I'm going to go follow this guy or I'm going to chase him down. And people get in such trouble with that. I'm going to, you know, the guy's taken off. He's left the store. He's running down the street. Somebody's running after him like, you know, I'm going to make a citizen's arrest or something or then I'm going to shoot him in the back. And then the good guy ends up being the one who ends up going to jail. But I completely applaud what you're saying. Shooting is a perishable skill. And you use a combination of factors. Yes, you get to the range as often as you can, but dry firing is really, really helpful. Uh, practicing your draw with a completely empty gun. Even better, frankly, uh, from a safety standpoint, use a blue gun. Works just fine for practicing your draw, practicing your movements, practicing your presentation. All very well. Thank you, sir. Appreciate it, Frank. That's that's good info. Let's see. Yeah, we don't quite have time to get Dell. Dell, don't go anywhere. We're going to get... Uh, anyway, let's do this. We'll do this real quick. Line four, Dell. Fresno, California. You're up. i got one minute. Dive in, please. Okay. Uh, just let you know, it's getting harder and harder to get those uh, real IDs uh, because they yeah. require, they didn't leave my uh, birth certificate uh, because it wasn't a certified copy. Uh, yeah, it was that's, that's what I'm talking about. You, it's out of state. It's not certified. So when you go to get your real ID, allow time if you say, gee, I'm going to have to travel internationally. I need this real ID. Don't wait till the week before you're leaving. You need to do that a couple right. of months ahead of time in case there's any kind of backup. And we, we experienced that in our family. It's like, oh, man, we've got to make another trip over there. We've got to do all this kind of stuff. So you're exactly right. It is, it is a, it's a mess. And, yeah, and Jim's saying domestic flights uh, next year, you have to have a real ID. We'll see. See if they end up stretching that, moving that. I don't know. But it's a real thing. And they're, what they're saying is in California, you won't be able to buy ammo if you can't show a real ID. Uh, this California thing has gotten weird. Question for you. Is the NRA the gun lobby? Or are you the gun lobby? we got this mess going on with the NRA right there. Now, what's it mean to you? We'll address that when we come back right here on Gun Talk. Good morning, Mr. Gresham. Your mission, should you decide to accept it, is to host a radio show that will bring truth and common sense to the discussion of firearms rights in this country. Good luck, Tom, to you and your Tom Gresham's Gun Talk team. You know, I keep talking about a lot of the actions taking place not in Congress, not on the federal level, although there are certainly attempts by the Democrats there to stomp on your constitutional rights, to crush them out of existence. But they're not going anywhere yet. On the state level, on the local level, a lot of things are happening all over the country. And the fights are sometimes in the legislatures, sometimes they're at city councils, and sometimes they're in the courts. Increasingly, they seem to be in the courts. We'll have more about that as we go on because two important cases in New York are in the news. But there's one out of New Jersey you may not have heard about. And it is instructive of what 
officials will do if no one holds their feet to the fire, if no one holds them accountable. Joining me right now to talk about that, a frequent guest here, a gun rights activist, attorney, Evan Anappen joins us right now. Evan, how are you, sir? Hey, great. Thanks, Tom. Glad to be on. You bet. Okay, so explain the background. You've got this decision by this judge, but before we do that, explain what has what has been going on. I guess you kind of got to start with what are the regs in terms of getting a gun or getting a handgun in New Jersey? Okay, well, let me just say this. This is interesting, and I am an attorney licensed to practice in New Hampshire and New Jersey. And New Hampshire okay. is, of course, incredibly pro-gun in terms of their limited gun laws, and they have a wonderful respect for the Second Amendment. And this case is actually out of New Hampshire. It's not Oh, New this Jersey. is a New Hampshire case. Okay, okay, I'm with you now. I want to tell you why, because this chief decided to act like he was from New Jersey. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so in but, New Hampshire, then, to, to get know, your, to buy a pistol, what's the yeah. reg? Oh, well, here's the deal. In New Hampshire, they have constitutional carry which is carry without a license. But okay. the license is on the books because the license is an option. No one has to get one, but it's there if you want one. And many states uh, do that. Alaska does it. Arizona, I believe, as well. Plenty. And the reason is, mm -hmm. if you get an optional license that shall issue, it's very useful for purposes of reciprocity to other states. Right. To, yeah, when you travel to another state, now you've got a permit and you can carry it in other states. Got it. Right. And it's also important to give you strong coverage under interstate transport under FOPA, Title 18, 926A, uh, because you have to go gotcha. from one place where you can possess and carry to another. And if you have a reciprocity carry, then you've met that burden right on its face by being licensed, you see. You see, so okay, it has so, so, so New Hampshire does it. have a carry permit. You, you can get it, and it's supposed to be shall issue, right? And right, and it shall issue, and it's a carry license. Now, this chief uh, denied my client. Now, he was the head of the Chiefs of Police Association when the fight was on to get constitutional carry. And apparently he oh. wasn't happy that... Uh, that the pro-gun folks won. At least that's my understanding. But whatever mm -hmm. the reason here, when my client applied to get her carry license shall issue, she was qualified for it. And in fact, mm -hmm. he, quote, issued it, meaning he gave her the license, but he refused to sign it and refused to put his title as to who he is on the license. So the license is given, but it's not uh, signed it's, it's, and it's not, it, it, it's not valid it's, without the signature, is it? Well, this is the argument. So I argued a number of things. I said, it, how can it be valid without a signature and mm -hmm. without a title because the statute mandates that a license be issued by an issuing authority, and the issuing authority in New Hampshire is one of three people a chief of police, a mayor, or a selectman. And without that okay. being identified, how do you have a valid license? And the interesting thing is there's nothing in the statute that specifically says the issuing authority has to place their signature on it. But the form is promulgated by the Department of Safety, 
and it says authorized signature, and then under that it says title. So he was not filling the form out that is the official form under the statute. So, so but he, it's not that he just wouldn't do it. He was refu- specifically refusing to do it. So what happened when you got to court? So what happened when we went to court is the judge ruled technically there is no obligation for him to actually sign it with a signature, but he has to put mm-hmm. his name and title so that it is correct under the statute. And in New Hampshire, unlike New Jersey, if you have to sue to get the chief to follow the law, you can get awarded attorney's fees. So not only did we win, but we also got attorney's fees paid in the matter. So, okay, so when you win, you won this, when the, now the, uh, he, the chief has to, if not sign it, at least put his name on there. He could print it, and then he has right. to put his title in there. But he also, the, they had to pay the attorney fees of your client. And the thing is, I sent him a, a nice letter figuring maybe this is just some type of oversight or mistaken thing and just asked him to sign it, put the title, and we could have avoided the whole thing if he had just done it. But he refused, was stubborn, wouldn't do it. And I warned him in the letter that if he didn't, I'd, I'd have to litigate it and he'd be liable for fees. And he's like, mm-hmm. eh, I don't care. Well, now guess what? He's liable for fees. Judge ruled it. And we actually got a great decision because, frankly, I don't care whether a chief has to sign it or not with an actual signature. There are plenty of licenses that don't have signatures on them. For example, mm-hmm. Connecticut's carry license. It's not a signed uh, license, but it's right. still a valid license and, and, and issued accordingly. So, frankly, not requiring a chief to physically sign it is actually better because now the hmm. excuse of, oh, it's sitting on the chief's desk kind of thing, that's no longer the issue because it doesn't gotcha. require the actual So what I'm doing now is I'm requesting that the Department of Safety, since the bombshell that came out in the, in the, in the case, was that the, the, the chief's attorney said, well, he talked to the attorney general who said he doesn't have to sign them. And the judge relied on that. And since the attorney general is the boss of the Department of Safety who promulgated a form that says authorized mm-hmm. signature, I'm requesting that they change the license form to just say name and title. So now it'll be even easier to get a carry license because you don't need the actual signature. And mm. uh, ended up uh, getting the other side uh, to pay for it. So we made a, a definitely an enhancement <laughs> for it while we're doing it. That, so that was that, that is made, terrific. It, it, Evan, you just keep doing good work for the Second Amendment in multiple states here. And and the thing is, this is a necessary part of the battle, of the cause, of the movement. You have to be doing it in the courts as well as, you know, in the legislatures and in Congress, right? Absolutely. It's vital to, uh, to it. We have to use all the resources to fight for our rights. It's very critical, and it's making a huge difference. I mean, this is important in New Hampshire. I mean, it was the, the, the largest newspaper in the state, the Union Leader. It was their banner headline on this case. Oh. Banner, across the top, huge headline. You know, it's significant very much in New Hampshire, who, yep. who cares deeply about these issues. But, you know, many of the other court challenges, of course, are going to have far-reaching uh, things. And we're in, you know, uh, Supreme Court 
on the New York case. There's many other cases that they're thinking about granting cert. And these are exciting times because of that, you see. They, they are. I'm going to direct people, if they want to know more of what you're up to, and get basically get involved, get plugged in, be a part of the team on gun rights movement, check out your website, evannappen.com. It's E-V-A-N-N-A-P-P-E-N. Evan, thank you so much, and please keep us posted, okay? Sure. Thank you. Bye now. All right. You take care. Yeah, evannappen.com. Take a look at it. All right. We're open lines now. 866-TALK-GUN. What are you carrying? What are you buying? Range reports and uh, guns that you'd like to know about. I may not know about it, but by golly, that doesn't mean I can't make up something. (laughs) 866-TALK-GUN. This is Jeff with Black Hills Ammunition. Shooters looking for ultimate performance in 300 blackout will be pleased with our new 110 grain tip TSX load. This round performs well through tough barriers such as car doors and windshields, making it a great choice for police patrol rifles. It also provides superior performance on whitetails and monster hogs. This round is a great all-around thermal performer. Black Hills Ammunition, the power of performance. For 25 years, Crimson Trace has led the industry in laser and light technology and customer service. Now, Crimson Trace is proud to offer electronic sights and rifle scopes for tactical, target, and hunting applications with the same Crimson Trace offer of free batteries for life on all products. The new rifle scope line is also backed by an unconditional lifetime warranty from the brand that you have trusted for over two decades. Find out more at CrimsonTrace.com. Attacks happen every day. How will you react? See real people put into real-life criminal attack situations on First Person Defender. Discover what works and what doesn't. Kidnapping, ATM robbery, home invasion, and other attacks. Learn how to save your life and the lives of your family. Get the entire first season on DVD at ShopGunTalk.com. Get prepared. ShopGunTalk.com. FN, the world's most battle-proven firearms. You want to reach for history, for greatness. So reach for the FN 5.7, a 5.7-millimeter pistol built with the DNA of over a century of legendary FN firearms. And now, it's within reach at your local firearms dealer. The FN 5.7 is the perfect combination of accuracy and stopping power. FN, the world's most battle-proven firearms. It's um, kind of interesting when multiple stories break and you go, oh, well, wait a minute, there's a connection here that might not have been obvious to a lot of people. First of all, we had the, uh, the case with knife rights. You know, we've been chasing this thing for seven years in New York, where the city of New York has been arresting people for ha- having regular old pocket knives. They've arrested more than more than 70,000 people for having pocket knives in New York. They call them gravity knives. Basically, a, a, an easy opening pocket knife. If, if a big old policeman can take that knife and flick his wrist and get it, the blade to open, boom, it's illegal, you're arrested. 
70,000 people. Frankly, a lot of them are people of color. It's a way of shaking down people. NYPD has done this for years. Knife Rights National Organization, actually supporting the Second Amendment, but it's knives, not guns, but all falls within the Second Amendment, has been challenging this and pushing it. And finally, it was headed toward the Supreme Court. It was actually on the docket for them to decide whether or not to hear the case. And then at the last minute, because it appeared obvious that the Supreme Court was going to take the case and that New York was going to lose the case, and this was going to set a precedent from the Supreme Court, New York blinked. They passed a law, and the governor signed it into law, and it basically got rid of, if you will, the flick test, the gravity knife law, and got rid of the whole thing. Well, the case was still before the Supreme Court for them to try to, or they were going to decide whether or not to hear the case. Uh, Last week, the Supreme Court said, yeah, we're not going to hear that one because it's basically doesn't exist anymore because New York passed this law, made it go away. For the most part, they did. There are still a few little issues there, but it pretty much did. This is where you look at it and go, okay, chasing this for seven years, spending hundreds of thousands of dollars uh, of donations that come in like $10 at a time from knife rights actually got the win. Didn't get the win in court It actually got the win because they folded and changed their law. That's a win. I would rather have had the Supreme Court precedent, frankly. And then I see this story just comes across uh, a day or two ago where New York City, of course, they have this weird law that says you can't transport your gun outside the city. You go, what? what, what? If you have a, a gun in New York City, a licensed legal gun, you can't take it outside the city to like go to a shooting range or to go hunting. It's a bizarre law. And so that was being challenged and was going up to the Supreme Court. Guess what? Once again, New York blinked. And so New York announced on Friday, just two days ago, it has amended uh, its rules where licensed guns can be taken outside the home. It was uh, the story I'm reading. It says it was a move intended to prompt the Supreme Court to dismiss a challenge from gun rights groups. The change, continuing to read the story, posted on a city website without fanfare, allows gun owners to take their firearms to a home business or shooting range outside the city limits. Until now, the city had limited those with possession licenses to seven shooting ranges inside city limits. Again, I would rather have the Supreme Court ruling, the precedent, and once again, they are afraid of that. They do not want the Supreme Court to rule on Second Amendment cases now because they know in, it's likely they're going to lose. They're, they know that the current Supreme Court is going to support the Second Amendment, is going to support gun owners, is going to support gun rights, is going to push back against these repressive gun control laws. They don't want that to exist because that, if they don't get the Supreme Court ruling, They can come back and put these back in at a later date. Understand, that's what's actually going on here. The idea is they'll say, well, we changed the law. And then later on, if they get a Supreme Court that's more favorable to them, they come back and say, well, we put the law back in. What are you going to do, sue us? I get an email from Ron. We were talking about gun belts earlier. He says... 
he's got to where he won't buy anything but gun belts, even when he's not planning on wearing a gun. He just finds the quote-unquote gun belts to be better quality, to be stiffer, to be thicker, to be stronger, to be, in fact, more comfortable. I agree. I agree completely, Ron, because, you know, on the extremely rare times when I'm not carrying a gun, I'm still wearing a gun belt. I just find they're be- they are better belts. They're made better. They're better quality. They're stronger. They're more comfortable. I, I get it. Made sense. And yeah, I think we may we were deciding from a previous caller who called it kind of like a utility belt. I like that idea. Think of your gun belt as your utility belt. That helps you understand why you need something that's strong and rugged and rigid and doesn't fold and doesn't roll over and holds up. Makes sense to me. Uh, Richard's on line two out of Lake Isabella, California. Richard, what happened with uh, the gun that uh, you and your wife had on this permit? Well, we both carried the same. We, well, this, this one gun that we have was on both of our permits for many, many years. And um, then I went to re- renew my license. And they said, well, no, it's registered in her name, so you can't have it. That's just new this year. So I said, well, okay, now, how do I get it into my name? Because my wife passed away in in, uh, March. And they said, Mm -hmm. well, now we have another situation. You have to send us a copy of your wife's death certificate, along with a whole bunch of other paperwork, so you can get it into your name, so then you can carry it. I've never heard of such a thing in our... We've both carried... Well, we have more than one gun on both permits. Over all these years, there's never been an issue until now. And, and so I, 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 uh, I'm following all the directions that they're giving me. I sent the mm-hmm. death certificate in yesterday to get it changed over. So now I'm waiting for more bureaucracy to come back. Mm. <laughs> it's just... I've never dealt with anything it's, like this. You know, is there any wonder that people are leaving California? It's like a, a conga line of people trying to get out of that state before it completely collapses. I feel your pain. I'm sorry for the loss of your wife. I'm sorry you're having to go through this idiocy there. But California and gun laws are idiocy, and it's just it's what it is. And I appreciate your call, Richard. Thank you, sir. Uh, Bud's in Tulsa, Oklahoma, line three. What's on your mind there, Bud? Uh, can you hear me Okay. I got you. You're uh, uh, asking about a shotgun for self-defense? Uh, yeah, home home defense gun, either a Mossberg 870 or a Winchester. Uh, if mm-hmm. it's going to be used as home defense, what is the best load for the weapon if it's a 20-gauge? Um, is it a single-family home or house trailer? Yeah, yeah, it's a single-family home, and the range is okay. 25 feet to 5 feet inside. Okay, here's the deal. A buckshot is probably best in most situations, but understand that buckshot will penetrate several walls, basically like bullets. If you had, uh, if you're really concerned about penetration through walls, you could go with birdshot, understanding that out to 10 yards, it's pretty effective. Beyond that, it's not. But I would say probably buckshot, and I would also put some type of aiming device, sights, or an optic or something, because you're going to be using it at close range. And the pattern size is very, very small. Think the size of your fist at some distances. It's actually quite easy to miss. 
In fact, you know one of the best things you can do on a home defense shotgun is stick a laser on it. Sounds weird, I know. But with a laser, you've got a good pointing system, and the shot pattern will go where it's supposed to, and you're less likely to miss. And yes, it is possible to miss with a shotgun in home defense situations. People do it. But that, that's what I would do. I think that's a good pattern. And generally speaking, a shotgun tends to stop the argument. 866-TALK-GUN. Why do women hunt? Well, we'll figure it out when we come back. <laughs> 